All right, good evening, brothers and sisters, and welcome to another episode of the Bible uh, Question and Answer. We have three topics that we're going to be discussing today, beginning with uh, the question, what does Lord Yahusha look like? Now, of course, I don't know how he actually looks like, but we will look at biblical references to give us a kind of idea of what he may look physically when he was here on earth. So let's begin with the question that was posed. And this is uh, the question from one of our viewers. Good evening, Brother Roland. Uh, two weeks before our Passover, I encountered and watched videos about what Christ looked like. And I saw and watched Brother Blank discussion in That's in the Bible entitled, What Did Jesus Look Like? What I remember him say, uh, said was, the Bible was mum about it. It's um, about how Yahusha or Jesus looked. So I remember what I've watched previously, and they've talked about Isaiah 53, particularly 53, 2 onwards. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. My questions are, number one, uh, does the Bible re really mum or silent, or does it mention about what Christ looked like? Does Isaiah 53, 2 really talk about the physical image of Christ, or uh, does it refer to something else like socioeconomic status or his clothes, uh, perhaps? But I remember Yahusha is from the line of King David, and it mentions in, uh, in 1 Samuel 16, 12. Uh, so he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and, a fine, and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then Yahuwah said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So I was thinking maybe he has he inherited King David's looks. Well, for me, it doesn't matter what his external appearance is. He is my king, my only mediator, and my savior. I've just asked for because I've watched the former churches stand about the image of Christ. I've tried to watch and search it again, but it looks like they took down the video. The video is no longer available. But they have another video about Christ's image discussed by another minister. But I'm not sure if it's a replacement. Anyway, thank you. And Abba Yahuwah bless you and uh, the Bible study. So the question centers around what is recorded in the book of Isaiah 53 and the verses 2. Questions are, well, how does Yahusha look like physically? And so let's go ahead and take a look at the book of Isaiah 53 and the verses 2. For he grew up before him like a tender shoot. And like a root out of parched ground, he has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. So what we read to you is a messianic prophecy. It is a prophecy that was fulfilled in the person of Yahushua HaMashiach. And so what we read in Isaiah 53.2 is, a, phys is a, a physical description of our king, Yahusha. And it does state in the Holy Bible, he has no stately form or majesty. And so this refers to his physical uh, appearance. And so when people look at him, he did not particularly stand out. In other words, he looked like an average person. He did not look like he was otherworldly. And so the Bible goes on to say, his appearance is not such that we would be attracted to him because of his physical beauty. And furthermore, if you take a look at the book of Isaiah 53, verse 2, it also states, and this is an important part, he is like a root out of parched ground. When it says parched ground, it is lacking what? Water. And so what happens to roots when it lacks water? It doesn't become physically imposing. And so we can gather from this description in the book of Isaiah that Yahushua was not imposing in his physical stature. Perhaps he was not that tall. Maybe he was of average height and built. And also he did not wear anything that represented any kind of majesty. He did not look like a prince or a king. He did not look like someone who had much uh, material wealth, and his appearance also was not that of people who we attribute uh, physical beauty to. And so his appearance was more or less 
average. He looked like everyone else. So this is what Isaiah 53, uh, 2 tells us about the physical appearance of Yahusha. What else? What else can we get from the biblical description? The book of John 7, 7 uh, 10 to 11. But after his brothers left for the festival, Yahusha also went, though secretly staying out of public view. The Jewish leaders tried to find him at the festival and kept asking if anyone had seen him. One thing we notice about our King Yahusha, he often goes in and out through the crowds and no one seems to be able to locate him, right? That's because he can blend in perfectly with the crowd. He looked just like the other Jews who were alive or who were in that land during the time of our King Yahusha. So he could blend in. It's not like he stood out because of his physical appearance. So he looked just like everyone else. He was an ordinary human being. He did not look like Archangel Michael or Archangel Gabriel. He did not have an imposing physical structure. He looked just like everyone else. This is why uh, in Matthew 26, 47 to 49, which further drives home that point, and even as Yahushua said this, Judas one of the 12 disciples arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor, Judas, had, been, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Yahushua. Greetings, Rabbi. He exclaimed and gave him the kiss. And so these people who came out to arrest our King Yahushua, well, they needed to find a way to identify him, which suggests to us that he did not stand out, that he blended in with the other disciples and with the other Jewish people who were around in that land during his time. And so we can say our King Yahushua looked just like everyone else in that Place. What else does the Bible tell us about the physical features of our King Yahushua? Isaiah 50, verse 6, I offered my back. Again, Isaiah 50 is a Messianic prophecy. It's referring to him and was fulfilled in him. And it says here, I offered my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mockery and uh, spitting. And so from this description, Yahushua was of average stature. He looked like a common Palestinian, a Jewish person living in Palestine during that time. And he had a beard. What else? In the book of Corinthians 11, verse 14, does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him. So back then, it was a dishonor. Part of the custom, part of the culture was men had to have short hair because it was a dishonor for them to have long hair. And so it's likely that our King Yahusha did not have long hair, but he had short hair. And when we look at archaeological digs and look at paintings in the catacombs, this is what is uncovered from the Wikipedia. This is what is written. The paintings in the catacombs permit the belief that the early Christians simply followed the fashion of their time. And what was the fashion of their time? The short hair of the men, right? And the braids of the women were towards the end of the second century, curled and arranged in tears. While for women, the hair twined about the head over the brow. Particular locks were reserved to fall over the forehead and upon the temples. And so during the time of our King Yahusha here on earth, like what we said, he blended in when it comes to his physical features, and during that time, people usually, if you were male, they had short hair. And so when it comes to examination of paintings in the catacombs and also early Christian art, uh, the followers of Yahusha and Yahusha himself were depicted with short hair. This is like what is found here. And new excavations that was discovered back in 2018 which depicted the picture of our King Yahusha also showed that he had short hair. And so where did this idea that our King Yahusha was this imposing figure with long hair come from? It came uh, 
from adaptation of Roman and Greek belief because the Romans and the Greeks wanted to portray the, their Jesus to be similar in physical appearance to their so-called gods like Zeus. This is why there's a similarity between their gods, Zeus, and also this, this depiction of their Jesus. This is why when we look today at the traditional image of what Jesus looks like, he looks like, uh, uh, like Caucasian, long hair, right? This is how usually uh, Jesus is portrayed to be similar in stature, to be similar in features with the Roman uh, and Greek gods. And so that's where it came from. Now, when we will use science and archaeology, and when we will look at uh, different uh, cultures during the days of Yahusha here on earth, uh, based on those concepts, uh, someone wrote a book, What Did Jesus Look Like? back in 2018. And in her 2018 book, What Did Jesus Look Like? Taylor uh, used archaeological remains, okay? historical texts and ancient Egyptian uh, funerary art to conclude that like most people in Judea and Egypt around the time, Jesus most likely had brown eyes, dark brown to black hair, and olive brown skin. He may have stood about five feet five inches tall, the average man's height at the time. I don't know about you, but that's kind of descriptive of... Uh, a lot of, the, a lot of uh, Orientals, <laughs> right? A lot of Asians, um, which is pretty shocking because so many people today, when you think about uh, Jesus, they think of a very tall person with long hair, white complexion, blue eyes. But that's not what the data suggests. It's not what the customs, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, culture suggests. So what we find from the biblical record and also from archaeological remains is that Yahushua looked probably like what is described here. But then again, we cannot be certain, right? And again, it is not important how he looks physically. What is important is what he taught. Perhaps the reason why our king Yahuwah, our creator, chose Yahushua to be an average person when it comes to physical features is because he wants us to be attracted to him, not because of his physical features, but because of his message, which is more important than his physical features, which is probably counterintuitive for people who live during our time. Because during our time, what do we, what do we gravitate towards? Do we not gravitate towards people who have these handsome looks, looks like a movie star? This is why so many religious leaders today, what do they do? Well, they get Botox, right? They get, they get uh, surgery. They want to make themselves look younger. And so they put on lots of makeup so they look cute in the camera, right? And so we have all these different ways to make themselves beautiful. But that's not the point of the message. point of the message is not how one physically looks like but the message itself. And so this is perhaps the reason why when Yahuwah sent Yahushua, our king, he was sent looking like an average person physically, but he's not average physically. When it comes to his appearance, he looked just like an ordinary human being because he was and he is a human being. Now let's go to the next question. But I remember Yahusha is from the line of King David, and it mentions in 1 Samuel 16 12. So let's go ahead and take a look at 1 Samuel 16 12. So Jess sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes, and Yahuwah said, This is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil. He had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of Yahuwah came powerfully upon David from that day on. And Samuel returned to Ramah. And so what we read was about Samuel looking for the one to be anointed, to be the next king of Israel. So he went to look for the one, the chosen of Yahuwah. And so when Samuel 
uh, sees David, he describes him as dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. Take note, he doesn't describe him as someone with white complexion, right? Someone who's dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And after he said that, Yahuwah says, this is the one anoint him. And so it seems to logically follow that the reason why David was chosen was because he was handsome and he had beautiful eyes. But is that the case? Was that the basis of Yahuwah God in choosing David to be anointed the next king of Israel? No. Why are we sure of that? Because in the same chapter, what does Yahuwah God warn uh, Samuel when it comes to choosing the king of Israel? 16 verse 7. But Yahuwah said to Samuel, don't judge by his, what does it say? Appearance or height, for I have rejected him. Yahuwah doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but Yahuwah looks at the heart. This is why when it comes to the physical appearance of Yahusha, it's really irrelevant to Yahuwah our God. And so when it comes to assessing a person's character, we must not look at his physical appearance, instead at his heart. Of course, as human beings, we're going to have a difficult time to look at the contents of a person's heart. But oftentimes a person's heart is revealed by what they say, right? A person's heart is revealed by what they do. And so when we assess a person's character, let's not judge by physical appearance. Why must we not judge based on physical appearance? Because it doesn't matter to Yahuwah God. And our physical appearance now, is it going to be permanent? It's going to be changed. For example, the physical appearance of Yahusha when he was here on earth. Is it the same? When he comes back, will he look the same as he was described in Isaiah? I don't think so. As a matter of fact, we can kind of look into how Yahusha looks like today. Today, in the book of Revelation 1, 12 to 15, when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. Want to pause there for a while? This is the book of Revelation. Who was the writer of the book of Revelation? The Apostle John, right? He has a vision. Yeah, and in his vision, he sees our king, Yahusha, in heaven. And this is how he describes our king, Yahusha, in heaven. When I turned to see him, to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the son of man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze, ref refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. If this uh, version of Yahusha were to be here on earth, is he going to stand out? I think so, right? He's going to stand out. This is a different King Yahusha, because when he, when he went to earth, when he was sent to earth, when he was born, he was born so that he would die for our sins. He went to heaven with a glorious body. And in heaven, he has this, he, we know he does not look the way he was when he was born here on earth. This is the imposing physical presence of our king, Yahusha. So when he returns, he's not going to return to die. He's going to return to what? To rule and his physical uh, presence is going to be much different from the time as was described by the book of Isaiah. And so what is important concerning the physical features of Yahusha is not how he looked like before, but what he looks like now. And what he looks like now is completely different. He is imposing. When you look at him, you will be forced to bow down and kiss his feet. Just like what John, Apostle John, did here when the Son of Man appeared to him. Okay. All right. Let's go to our next question. Hello, Polka John. I heard the lesson uh, preached by Brother Blank. I'm not going to mention the name. That disturbed me. Well, that's not good. 
I mean, if uh, someone's preaching the word of God and you listen to it and it disturbs you, that's, not, that's never good. He said that in Tagalog, ang kaligtasan hindi para lamang sa mga natay, Yahushua. In, in English, it translates to salvation is not only for those who belong to Yahushua. Is this true, Paul? I don't mean to put Brother Blank uh, in a bad light, but I also do not want him to preach something blasphemous to his congregation. And so the question is based upon what he heard from a certain preacher, because this certain preacher, the unnamed preacher, preached about salvation. And what he said about salvation is pretty disturbing, because he said salvation is not only for those who belong to Yahushua. What does this mean? You can be saved even without Yahushua. Is that biblical? Can a person be saved apart from or without belonging to our King Yahushua? I don't think so. We know what the Bible teaches, right? What does the Bible teach about salvation? The book of John 14 and the verse of 6, Yahushua answered him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except by me. And so is there a way to salvation? Yes. And who is the way to salvation? Yahushua says, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. Can there be any other way by which we can access the Father and receive true life or salvation? Well, Yahushua says, no one goes to the Father except by me. And so when Yahushua says, except by me, he is preaching exclusivity, not inclusivity. You see, when it comes to opportunity to be saved, Yahushua is inclusive, right? He includes everyone. Everyone can be saved. However, when it comes to the manner by which a person can be saved, he is exclusivistic because there's only one way, not many ways, but one way by which a person can be saved. And it is through our king, Yahushua. Yahushua himself said this. And when he ascended to heaven and the apostles began to preach, what did they also say about that? The book of Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So the Bible says salvation is found in no one else. This is why to say that there's salvation for those who don't belong to our King Yahusha. Well, they go against the teaching of Yahusha, our King himself. And they go against the teaching of the apostles. As a matter of fact, if a person does not belong to Yahusha, or he is separated from him. What does he not possess? Ephesians 2, 12 to 13. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Excluded from citizenship in Israel. And foreigners of the covenants of the promise. Without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Yahushua. You who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. According to the teaching now of the Apostle Paul, uh, if one is not included or doesn't belong to our King Yahushua, if one is separated from him, what is the conclusion of Apostle Paul? He has no hope and he has no God in the world. What does it mean that he has no hope? He doesn't have hope for salvation. And so we have all these teachings that teach us for us to be saved, we need to be included with who? Our king, Yahushua. Do you know why? What is it about belonging to our king, Yahushua, which is necessary for us to be saved? It is only in our king, Yahushua, that we find redemption through the blood of Christ. And this is why we all need to be in our king's uh, body, because we need to be covered by the blood of our king, Yahushua, that brings us to our salvation, brings us near our true God. Well, how about those who, you know, never actually met or never actually heard about our King Yahushua? I mean, we studied this before, right? You know, th those kind of things, it's not up to us to decide who is going to decide that. Yahuwah God, for example, there's someone from India, never ever heard about King Yahushua, and he died when he was 10 years old. Is he going to be saved? 
Well, if he's going to be saved, then he's going to be saved apart from Yahushua. Is that true? Oh, no. Well, how about those who died during the Old Testament times? All the prophets of old, like Moses and Noah, they did not know about Yahushua. Are you sure? Because when we look, when we study the Old Testament, it is filled, right, with prophecies, filled with hope that point forward to who? Our King Yahushua, the Old Testament. When people say the Old Testament doesn't preach about our King Yahushua, they're wrong. It is filled with messages about the King Yahushua. The Old Testament uh, people of God, they knew about the coming Mashiach, about the coming Messiah. This is why when all is said and done for the people who have no direct knowledge of Yahushua, our King, how will they be saved? The book of Ephesians 1, 7 and 10. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. This is the work of Yahuwah God. He is going to bring together all of creation when the fullness of the times have come, when the end has come, and it's time to bring salvation to mankind. What is Yahuwah God going to do? He's going to bring everyone under who? Our king, Yahusha. He will gather everyone in, in all things in Christ. This is why all human beings so who are going to be saved. They're going to be under the headship of our king, Yahusha. Why? Because all creation was created with who in mind? Our king, Yahusha. All things were created through our king, Yahusha, and for our king, Yahusha. This is why to say that anyone will be saved apart from our king, Yahusha, that would go against the plan of Yahuwah God that would go against the very statement of Yahusha HaMashiach, and it will go against what was preached by the apostles. This is why whoever wrote uh, that question, he has the right to be disturbed, because when you receive a message like that, that is a message that is not pro-Christ. That's a dangerous message, because I know it's a popular message, right? Because you want to be politically correct. You want to portray yourself as being uh, inclusivistic. You want to include all religions. But our King Yahushua, he made it very clear. He's the only way apart from him. There is no salvation. Everything must go through him. Because all things will be gathered together under his headship and lordship. Okay. All right. Let's go to our final question. Uh, this is kind of a sensitive one, and it's very difficult for me to answer it. But, you know, we have a duty here uh, to proclaim the truth, even if it may be difficult truth for some to accept. Okay. Uh, our purpose in preaching is not to offend anyone. Our purpose in preaching the word of God is to enlighten so that we can all adopt the Christian way of life and the Christian way of thinking. Because if we will adopt another way of thinking, we could be led astray. We don't want that, right? We want to make sure we preserve the faith that was given to us by the apostles, as authored by our King Yahushua himself. And so the question uh, goes like this. Uh, I am a Reiki uh, practitioner. Now, I don't know if you are all, and any of you are familiar uh, with Reiki. You know, when I got this question, I have to admit I'm not familiar with uh, Reiki. Um, it's only because of this question that I actually looked um, and did some research on what Reiki is all about. But prior to this question, I really had no idea. I've heard of it, but it did not really catch my interest, you know. But because it was asked, it kind of forced me to look into it and so, to answer this question. So I'm a Reiki practitioner. In Reiki, we believe that we heal via energy, okay? Um, nothing wrong with that. Seems to make sense. We heal via energy, but usually with the help of the higher power. That's a red flag, right? When we speak of a higher power and we kind of 
leave it undefined. It could be attached to anything. Because when you speak of a higher power, what does that mean? Does the higher power have intelligence? Because if this higher power has intelligence, is he God? Right? And so whenever you include uh, verbiage that says things like higher power, that's already a red flag. But let's uh, go ahead and keep looking. I believe that my Reiki energy is from Yahuwah's help. So I don't feel guilty doing Reiki. But just to be sure, I just want to know if it's okay to use it and what the Bible says about it. So we'll go ahead and look into what Reiki is all about. Is that okay? And then look at what the Bible teaches uh, to give us some guidelines or guidance to determine whether or not we should be practicing uh, Reiki. And if you sh we should be looking for a Reiki practitioner so that we can be healed of our diseases and our sicknesses. So I went to the official website of Reiki uh, at reiki.org. If you go there, it's going to take you to this page. Now, just looking at the page, that looks very religious, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, you have uh, angels, we have light coming from heaven, and you have this person who is covered with light or a person radiating light outwards, and there seems to be a temple, right? And so it has all the fixtures of a religion, doesn't it? This is why just at the website, just looking at the, the homepage of Reiki, um, it makes you wonder, but let's go, what is it about? What, what is Reiki all about? And according to the, the information I'm going to be sharing with you comes directly from the FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions, on their website. Okay, so I'm not making this up. I'm getting it directly from uh, the source I'm sharing with you. So Reiki is a Japanese technique for stress reduction and relaxation. Is that good or bad? Is it good to have stress reduction and relaxation? It's good, right? So, so far, so good, yeah. But also promotes healing, of course. If you have less stress, if you have more relaxation, it does promote healing, right? It is administered by laying on of hands. Okay, so far, so good, because science has shown physical touch can be healing. And this is why mothers often should, you know, touch their babies because it brings nurturing and it brings healing and growth. And so physical touch has been shown uh, to release endorphins, good chemicals. And so it is a good way of uh, healing. This is why we feel good when we go through a difficult times. Someone embraces us, gives us a hug, right? Someone, uh, you know, kind of holds us by the hand. It makes us feel good, okay? So, so far, so good, laying on of hands. And it's based on the idea that an unseen life force energy flows through us and is what causes us to be alive. If one's life force energy is low, then we are more likely to get sick or feel stress. And if it is high, we are more capable of being happy and healthy. So what's the the principle behind Reiki. Well, it's a method of healing which focuses on managing this so-called life force energy because the more you have of it, the healthier you are. But if you lack it, then you become sick and unhappy. So it's about managing this life force energy. And how is it managed? Uh, the Reiki healing technique developed in Japan, late 1800s, involves the practitioner's placing his or her hands in certain positions on the patient's body in order to facilitate the flow of Reiki or universal life energy from the Reiki practitioner to the patient. And so uh, the objective of Reiki to, to create the healing atmosphere for an individual suffering from any kind of malady or sickness is to facilitate the flow of Reiki. What is Reiki again? It's They call it the universal life energy. And so what the facilitator or the practitioner of Reiki wants to do is to bring more flow of Reiki into that person, especially directed to the parts of his or her body that needs it the most. Okay, so that's what a Reiki practitioner will do. And I wanted to kind of point into this so-called universal life energy, because when the Bible speaks about life, where does it come from? Who is the author of life? Who is 
where is who is the source of life? Well, in the book of Job, chapter 12, 7 to 10, but now ask the beast, and they will teach you, and the birds of the air, and they will tell you, or speak to the truth, and it will teach you, and the fish of the sea will explain to you, who among all these does not know, but the hand of Yahuwah has done this, in whose hand is the life of every living thing, and the breath of all mankind. And so this so-called uh, life force energy, when it comes to the Bible, there's only one kind of life force. What is that? It's the breath of Yahuwah, our God, right? And so the breath of God is what gives us life. It's what gives us animation. The Bible does not speak of any kind of other, quote, uh, quote, unquote, life force energy, okay? But let's keep going. Let's keep looking into what Reiki is all about. Because so far, so good. I mean, we can accept. Maybe they will say, okay, uh, the life force energy is the breath of God, right? Maybe they'll say that. Uh, this is a gift from God. This life force energy. Okay, we can accept that. But let's keep digging further. What is Reiki all about? What's the philosophy behind it? Because for you to begin to practice the art of Reiki, you need to subscribe to a philosophy. And that philosophy is what we need to look into to determine whether or not it is from Yahuwah God. And so the word Reiki, according to the source, is made of two Japanese words, Rai, uh, Rei, which means God's wisdom or the higher power, and Ki, which is life force energy. So Reiki is actually spiritually guided life force energy. And so people who practice or who a Reiki practitioner has the gift supposedly to guide this life force energy. Do you get that? That's how they provide healing. They become a channel so that the uh, life force energy, can they can control it so that it flows to you. And it, when it flows to you, you are healed. But let's go ahead and look at the, the, the definition of Rei because it comes from the, the word Rei Ki. And this is what they have to say. When seeking a definition from a more spiritual context, we find that Ray can be defined as the higher intelligence that guides the creation and functioning of the universe. Ray is subtle wisdom that permeates everything, both animate and inanimate. This subtle wisdom guides the evolution of all creation, ranging from the unfolding of galaxies to the development of life on a human level. It is available to help us in times of need and to act as a source of guidance in our lives. Because of its infinite nature, it is all knowing. Ray is also called God and has many other names depending on the culture that has named it. And based upon this definition, we can kind of get, you probably had like lots of red flags come up, right? You can, all, you can already see like the sense of danger. Because the philosophy behind the practice of Reiki involves spiritual aspects. When it involves spiritual aspects, then it becomes very, very dangerous. Why? Because if it involves spirits, whose spirit is involved? Is it Yahuwah God? Well, according to uh, the definition of Reiki from this source, the official source of Reiki, um, Rei is a higher intelligence. It permeates everything, both animate and inanimate. So it's part of creation, right? And so it's kind of tinkering with the idea of pantheism, where the created thing is also God, because it does mention that this source of energy can also be available to help you in time of need and as a source of guidance. And because it's infinite in nature, it's all knowing. So it's omniscient, an all-knowing higher intelligence, and it's defined as God. But this God has many names already. We know this cannot be good. If this is the philosophy behind the practice of Reiki, I suggest that we do not practice it because we will involve ourselves in tinkering with spirits which are defined to be infinite nature, to be God, quote unquote, and at the same time having many names. Well, for us, 
you know, for us uh, followers of Yahusha, what is our belief concerning God? The book of Corinthians 8, 5 to 6, even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, and even though there are many of these gods and lords, yet there is for us only one God, the Father, who is the creator of all things and for whom we live. And there's only one Lord, Yahushua Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. And so for us, when it comes to God, we believe in only one God, right? Who is the creator of all things. And this one God, does he have many names? According to the book of Nehemiah 9.6, and then the people of Israel prayed this prayer. You, Yahuwah, you alone are Yahuwah. You made the heavens and the stars of the sky. You made land and sea and everything in them. You gave life to all the heavenly powers, bow down and worship you. And so it's clear from the scripture, the one true God has a name. His personal name is Yahuwah. And so we disagree with the uh, teaching from uh, that source of uh, Reiki that this higher power, this higher energy with intelligence is also God. No, the only true God has a name and his name is Yahuwah, the one who created all things. Now let's keep looking. Uh, so that's one major reason why I don't endorse the practice of Reiki. What else? Reiki is a special kind of life force that can only be channeled by someone that has been attuned to it. So it is possible that some people are born with Reiki or have gotten it some other way. However, most healers have not received the Reiki attunement from a Reiki master, are not using Reiki, but another kind of life force. So now there are multiple life forces. Where could that be coming from? When it says a life force, what is it in reference to? It is like spirit, a special kind of life force. But the Reiki, which is a special kind of life force, can only be received through a Reiki master. So if one is not a Reiki master, you cannot receive this life force. And if this life force is fundamental to all reality, uh, it would mean that the Reiki master, well, they have authority that not even Yahusha has, right? Is Yahusha a Reiki master? You might say that, well, Yahusha was a Reiki master, but the Bible does not mention that. The Bible does not say that. When it comes to the special life force called Reiki, if you go to uh, the, uh, the website, it says that Reiki is called by different names as well, depending on the culture. In India, it's called Prana. Hebrews call it Ruach, and the Christians call it Holy Spirit. And so based on that definition of life force energy, it would mean that the Reiki master has the power to channel the Holy Spirit. Wow. But according to the Holy Bible, who has been given authority to control, to send the power of the Holy Spirit? John 14, 26 the helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and make you remember all things I have told you. John 15, 26, the helper will come, the, the Spirit, who reveals the truth about God and who comes from the Father. I will send him to you from the Father, and he will speak about me. And so here, those who have authority to direct the Holy Spirit are the Father and the Son. Our King Yahuwah, uh, our Creator Yahuwah, and our King Yahusha. They have the power to send the Holy Spirit, which, by definition of Reiki practitioners, is that Reiki life force. Okay. And so, if we look at it uh, based upon their idea of what Reiki is, then we have to conclude the Reiki masters, well, they have the power to also control the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but that's not biblical. That goes against the teaching of the Holy Bible. Not even the apostles, when they healed individuals, they prayed to Yahuwah. They prayed to Yahusha. They did not send the Holy Spirit, right? They did not even control the Holy Spirit. They prayed for it to come, but they did not direct it. Um, so that's one thing. That's another thing. Uh, 
that kind of bothers me about Reiki. What else? Well, according to uh, Reiki practitioners, attunement is done by a Reiki master. Wanna pause her for uh, a while. Um, there are different levels of Reiki. There's level one, level two, and level three. And so when you get training for Reiki level one, uh, you can do basic Reiki. But if you wanna do advanced Reiki, you have to be level two. If you wanna teach uh, Reiki, you have to be a master. You have to do Reiki number three, okay? So what are the different abilities? Okay, uh, attunement is done by a Reiki master. By the way, when, when we say attunement, it is the idea and belief of Reiki practitioners that the process of Reiki is not something that you can learn by reading a book or watching a video. No, you have to be in the presence of a Reiki master because they will pass on to you the ability. It's called attunement. And so for you to be able to practice Reiki, you have to be attuned to a Reiki master because the Reiki master was attuned to his or her Reiki master. Okay, so the only way to become a practitioner of Reiki is you have to get it from a Reiki professional. And so they pass it on to you. They pass on the gift or ability uh, to become Reiki practitioner. So attunement to first degree Reiki confers the ability to treat oneself and others by touch. So there's physical touch. That's the first level. Attunement to second degree Reiki, Reiki to confers the ability to use specific symbols and these symbols are mysterious. They cannot disclose it to you unless you're already a practitioner. Uh, and they access Reiki mentally for distant healing. Attunement to third degree Reiki, Reiki, to, Reiki thir, uh, three or master level confers the ability to attune others into Reiki. So when you become Reiki three, you can teach others and pass along the gift of Reiki. And so it's like the spirit so that before you can receive the spirit of Reiki, right? You have to receive it from someone who has it, a master. So once you have it and you nurture it and train it, then you can give it to someone else. You get it? Okay. But what I want to look at here is attunement to the second degree Reiki, because it has the ability to use specific symbols to conduct what is called distant healing. Okay. Distant healing. That means you can heal someone who lives in the Philippines, even if you are in the United States. You just think about him and, you know, the person on the other side gives you permission and you create a connection. Now, they use different symbols and the symbols are pretty symbolic of religious things. Power, distance, master, harmony. And... They use symbols, I guess they repeat the symbols in their minds and they conduct healing through a distance. Now, when you provide healing through, through distance, not through physical touch, okay? When you provide healing across time and space, what does that tell you? It's involving spiritual powers, doesn't it? And so the question is, is that spiritual power from Yahuwah God? Is that spiritual power from Yahushua? Or is it from some other source? Because we need to be warned by Apostle Paul. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. At that time, you were followed by the at that time you followed the world's evil way. You obeyed the rulers of the spiritual powers in space. The spirit who now controls the people who disobey God. So Apostle Paul warns us: there are rulers who have power over the spiritual powers in space. Perhaps those who conduct Reiki, right? They're tapping into powers that enable them to cross time and space and heal people who are far away with no physical contact. Is there a physical way to explain that? No. Is there a spiritual way to explain that? Yes, because by definition, spirit cuts through space and time. And so you are invoking now the help of a spirit. Do you get that? So when a person practices Reiki to bring about healing across time and space, he or she is tapping into spiritual powers. Question is, what is the source of that spiritual power? Is it Yahuwah and Yahushua? Or is it someone else or something else? Because is it possible 
um, to pray for someone who is across time and space, right? Or across space. Is it possible to do that? Yeah, we can pray for someone who is living in another country. But what's the difference between praying for that person and sending energy to that person? The, the, the difference is the source of the energy, the source of the healing, right? When it comes to Reiki, the source of the energy is this undefined higher energy, and you're directing it. When it comes to prayer, who is the source? Yahuwah, through Yahusha, by sending the Holy Spirit. Do you see the difference? This is why we have to be very careful. Because when it comes to the power of healing, who was given the power to heal? And by what method? Book of Acts 10.38, you know that God anointed Yahusha from Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Yahusha went everywhere and did good things, such as healing everyone who was under the devil's power. Yahusha did these things because God was with him. And so when our king Yahusha performed miracles and when he healed people, was it because he was a Reiki master? Did he use symbols? Is that what he said? No. How was he able to perform miracles? How was he able to heal people? It was because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is what brings true healing that comes from our, our creator, Yahuwah, and our king, Yahusha. And so outside of the Holy Spirit, I don't know what kind of spirits that those are. The only spirit that we must receive is a spirit that, our, that Yahuwah gives through our king, Yahusha. That's the only spirit we must receive. No other spirits, because other spirits are ruled not by Yahuwah, our, our God, but something else, okay? And so we need to be careful about that. What else? Well, Reiki is a technique that is passed on from teacher to student over and over. If one has Reiki, then he or she will be part of a succession of teachers, leading back to the founder of the system of Reiki uh, one is practicing. In the case of Usui, Reiki, the lineage would lead back to Dr. Usui. And so when it comes to authority, to send and to direct Reiki, the ultimate authority was the one who invented it. In this case, it was someone by the name of Dr. Usui, right? And so he gets the glory, doesn't he? I mean, if, for example, you are a Reiki practitioner and someone is healed because you got attunement from a spiritual uh, master who got his attunement from another spiritual master, and it's traced all the way back to someone by the name of Dr. Usui, well, who gets the glory? Well, Dr. Usui, he is the authority now when it comes to this healing that is absent when it comes to scripture because in the holy scriptures everything flows through everything goes back to who our king yahusha he must have the preeminence okay and also uh lastly uh, this is also mentioned although reiki energy is spiritual in nature reiki is not a religion practitioners are not asked to change any religious or spiritual beliefs they may have they are free to continue believing anything they choose and are encouraged to make their own decisions concerning the nature of the religious practices. And so according to the Reiki page, Reiki energy is spiritual in nature, but it's not a religion. What does that mean? It means you can use any religion and have access to that spirit, to that healing energy, so that you can be a practitioner. And so if you are from the religion of Buddha, or Hindu, or even if you believe in, uh, if you belong to the religion of Satan, right? According to this uh, directive, well, you can still use Reiki. And so what does that mean? Well, it means they're all sharing the same spirit. They're all one under that same spirit named Reiki. So Reiki is the umbrella that, that uh, binds them together. And to say, uh, we are spiritual in nature, but not a religion. You know what that actually means? It means they are a universal religion. That's what it is. When you say things like we're spiritual in nature, but we, but we practice all religions, we accept all religious ideas, then you become a universal religion. Anything goes, right? And that's very, very, 
dangerous. Because when you think about it, brothers and sisters, let's say, for example, a person who is practicing Reiki does not believe in Yahusha. Maybe they even despise our King Yahusha. And there's another Reiki practitioner who believes in our King Yahusha. And they both have access to the same Reiki. How can that be? How can that make any sense? Right? And so what this idea of what, being spiritual in nature, but having no religion actually means they're combining all religions into one. And that's not what our King Yahushua said. Our King Yahushua said there's only one way to practice a true religion. The way, the truth, and the life is through who? Through him, our King Yahushua. And so when we are introduced with ideas like this in the book of 2 Corinthians 10, 45, Apostle Paul gives us the following uh, warning. The weapons we use in our fight not, are not the world's weapons, but God's powerful weapons, which we use to destroy strongholds. We destroy false arguments. We pull down every proud obstacle that is raised against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. It doesn't say every thought is okay. No, it says make every thought captive, captive and make it obey who? Christ. The true religion is not the religion that accepts all other religions, but the true religion is the one that goes through who? Our king, Yahusha. And our, I believe, our enemy as followers of our king, Yahusha, during this time are new age ideas. And these new age ideas want to combine everything into one, a new Babylon. That's what it is. It is in the spirit of Babylon that those who adopt new age ideas are putting together a system of religion that encompasses all the major religions of the world and making it one. And Reiki is following suit. But according to Apostle Paul, make every thought captive and make it obey who? Christ. Because the true religion is our king. Yahusha. Outside of our King Yahusha, there's no hope. There is no salvation. Outside of our King Yahusha, we cannot receive the spirit of our Yahuwah God. This is why let us, for me, let's not uh, go to a Reiki practitioner, right? If you need healing, how can we get healing, brothers and sisters? How can we get healing? What does the Bible teach us? What are healing things? What is taught by the Holy Scriptures that we need to do if we want to be healed? Let's go really fast. Jeremiah, oh, Yahuwah, if you heal me, I will be truly healed. Go to Yahuwah, our God. Why will you go through Reiki when you have Yahuwah, our God, who can give us healing? Who else can we go to? Acts 3.16, through faith in the name of Yahushua. This man was healed, and you, not, and you know him. You know how crippled he was before. Faith in Yahushua's name was healed has healed him before our, your very eyes. What else can we do to obtain healing? We need to go through our king, Yahusha. So we have Yahuwah God, right? We have our king, Yahusha. And when it comes to healing through our king, Yahusha, uh, who's an example uh, of one who got healed because of his faith in our king, Yahusha. In the book of Matthew 8, 5 to 7, when Yahusha returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Yahushua said, I will come and heal him. And so here was a Roman officer. He had a servant who's paralyzed and in terrible pain. He needs healing, right? This uh, Roman officer, what did he request? Or what did he want to happen? He wanted our King Yahushua to heal his servant. And so what did our King say? Yahushua said, I will come and heal him. And so Yahushua offered himself to go to his house and heal the servant. But what was the faith of this Roman officer? Matthew 8, 8 to 10. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my house. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my, my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Yahushua heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. Is it possible to have healing 
through across distance, across space. Is it possible? Yes. But who's the one who directs the healing power? It is our king, Yahusha. Yahusha must be the one to carry out the work of healing, not us. What is our role? Our role is faith. Faith in who? Faith not in Reiki. Faith not in human medicine. Faith not in human beings, but faith in our king, Yahusha. It is faith in him that will move him to send the spirit so that we can be healed. This is why when it comes to healing, we need to go to our king because he is the one authorized to send the Holy Spirit. What else is, has been given to us for healing? James 5, 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. According to scriptures, what also was given to us so that we can be healed. It's called anointing of oil. This is when we go to the elders of the church, we get anointed by oil, but it's not the oil that will heal. It is the prayer of faith. Again, it is faith that will heal us. Faith in what? Faith in faith? No, faith in our king, Yahusha HaMashiach. However, for us to receive the healing, what must we be willing to do? James 5, uh, 5 16, confess your trespasses uh, to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And so Yahuwah God and Yahusha HaMashiach also teaches us to pray for one another. And he didn't teach us to practice Reiki, right? He taught us to anoint oil. He taught us to pray for one another and to forgive one another and confess our sins to one another. What also has been um, approved by our King Yahusha for healing? The book of Mark 2.17. Yahusha heard them and answered, uh, people who are well do not need a doctor, but only those who are sick, right? Uh, when Yahusha heard this, he told them healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And so our King Yahusha also endorsed doctors, those who are professionals when it comes to uh, the art of healing. What also can be healing? A cheerful heart is a good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. This is why when we are there for each other, this is why our uh, almighty God wants us to always meet together. Because when we are in the presence of each other, when we encourage each other, you know, our heart becomes encouraged. And that is also very important when it comes to the healing process. When we encourage each other, when we are able to help each other uh, obtain a cheerful heart, because a cheerful heart is like good medicine. It's a powerful way for us to heal. And lastly, what else has been given to us for healing? The book of Proverbs 4, 20 to 22, my child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. And so let us also let the words of God penetrate in our heart. How do the words of God penetrate in our heart? When we meditate, the way to the heart is through the mind. When we meditate and think about the power, the promises of Yahuwah our God, the words of Yahuwah our God found in the Holy Bible, when we meditate upon the words of God and allow it to reach our heart, it heals our whole body. And so Yahuwah God has given us ways by which we can heal. But at the foundation of it all is the directing of our creator, Yahuwah our God. And nowhere in scriptures does it mention anything about symbols. It does not mention anything about crystals. It doesn't mention anything about Reiki and different positionings of the hand. No. What it teaches us is to have faith in Yahuwah our God and faith in Yahusha our King and faith in his words. And so this is what we need to do as people of God so that we can receive our healing, whatever may be our ailment. Okay, that is our lesson. Let us stand and we shall pray together.
Almighty and Everlasting Father. Yes. Yahuwah Abba. Yes. Thank you so much for continuing to bless and guide us. Mm -hmm. We know in these last days, we're going to face ideas and philosophies yes. that counter the work of faith. Yes. Help us, Father, to be alert. Help us to be dedicated and loyal to you yes. because we know you want each and every one of us to know the truth and to come to salvation. Amen. Yahushua, our King and Mashiach, yes. we will turn to you for our healing yes. because you were the one given to us. You have power that is beyond our imagination. Amen. And so we seek you now, loving Mashiach. Yes. May you heal your servants who are physically ill. Yes. We know that you can send the power of the spirit. Yes. May you please do so now that we can find testimony in your promises yes. that you indeed have the power to heal whatever may be our sicknesses. Amen. Father, thank you so much for giving us the gift of the son the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yes. There's nothing else we can, we need to look to. There's nothing else that we need because your son is enough. Yes. And by him, we can stand before you whole Amen. and healed, ready for our salvation. Amen. Thank you, Father, for blessing us with your holy words. Yes. Help us to focus on your message yes. and to become stronger and stronger in our faith. Amen. We believe, loving Father, that you have listened to our prayers. Yes. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.